The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither Light On nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. It feels like all our heroes are coming. We all know why. Painful enough to pretend. The world itself is just one big hoax. My guest today is uh, Roger A. Turner. Um, I I came across his book, uh, A God in the Moon, which is a very, very interesting book uh, if you get a chance to pick it up. Uh, I was interested in... Um, in the moon primarily this is why i picked up your your book and i read a synopsis of it and i was like oh i need to read that book that sounds like what i'm looking for um and uh but but the, i found so many like different kind of subjects in the book that that sort of meld together um so i but I, i'd like to ask you like what you know what what do you consider this but what what is a god in the moon mean to you and what is the book about in your uh in your view yeah, well, historically, uh, it seems that the moon has been deified and uh, represents sort of like one part of a trinity, but it's part of a pattern that goes through everything in our universe. If you imagine sort of like fractal patterns, at the beginning of that, we'll say this trinity that brought about the physical universe. And then everything is sort of grown from that. But we still keep that fractal pattern of three. So even if we look at everything that's constructed around us, you'll see that pattern of three. It's rampant throughout everything. Yeah, and the, the kind of yeah. the subline is your your guide to the world of the Trinity matrix. I forgot to mention that. Um, so what is the what does the <laughs> Trinity really mean? in the whole grand scheme of things, because everything is, does seem to be a trinity. And how does that relate to the moon? Okay. I'll just give you a brief outline. Mm -hmm. yeah, about 25 years ago, I retired, moved back out to the country where I had time to think about things again. And uh, one thing I did get into is studying religions. Yes. And as I went through the study of religions, I found that just about every religion that had a Trinity Godhead. And I wondered why, why is this Trinity Godhead? So looking further into what the Trinity actually represents, it all came back to most religions to planetary symbology. So you have um, the sun, the moon, and the earth as the Trinity. And that goes way back to the most primitive religions. In, right. you know, back into ancient Babylon, ancient Samaria. And, um, yeah, each one of those of the Trinity, the sun, the moon, and the earth, represents uh, a different part that makes up the physical universe. Mm -hmm. I've, I've read a lot about uh, how the, the moon is a sort of like a negative frequency kind of making up this material realm. What do you think about that? Well, basically, it is. Uh -huh. It's the father. I mean, it represents 
it isn't uh, the moon itself is not uh, a god or anything but it represents that energy that deified energy so that part is sort of like the father of the physical universe mm -hmm. the sun actually represents the creative force the original what we would call god or deity the original intelligence and the earth represents matter we have matter coming from matter which is mother so that's where we were born and that's where most life is born on the earth mm -hmm. it gives life so you have the father which looks over the earth and helps produce life you know through influencing the tide patterns and giving its energy frequency and also light at night and you have the sun which gives life to the earth and also reflects its energy off the moon that's it do you think it does it reflects the way they say it does though because that's kind of like a yeah debated thing no <laughs> yeah this is a debated thing yeah uh but yes it does reflect the sun's light uh -huh. but it's a, do you think it's a rock like a rock like they say uh, reflecting yeah. light yeah 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 i do yeah okay um so when you say that um the sun is did you consider the sun like god, god or god energy source? How would you explain that? Because they, I mean, they've been worshiping it for for centuries, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, the sun itself, I don't consider it to be, you know, any sort of deity, mm -hmm. but it symbolizes the original creative force to the ancient people that's where they got their energy from that's where they got their heat from mm -hmm. that's where life came from initially right because it gives warmth and sustenance makes the plants grow um yeah gives life energy yeah it couldn't couldn't go very far without the sun that's for sure uh no some, <laughs> <laughs> yeah some people believe that the moon wasn't always in the sky have you read anything about that they said it, it's like a like a false construct um some way cur curbing the sort of reality or perception on the earth yeah well that depends on how you translate the old texts because some of the old texts say uh before the moon right mm. now that could mean before the presence of the moon as a physical being or a physical object or it could mean before the moon had its influence or before the moon actually became master of the earth mm -hmm. as in a deity yeah the the early israelites had the um the god sin right but i i, I can't yeah. find very very much on that what what was the god sin to them do you know anything about that well, the god sin wasn't uh, uh, much else than a moon god. So it was just one of the moon gods that were worshipped. 
Mm -hmm. Is in that different what... regions they had different deities that represented the sun, the moon, and the earth. Sin was just one. You know, uh, it's like we have, uh, you know, fashion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it became fashionable to worship this god. Yeah, it seemed like there was there uh, was like. Ancient... Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, in ancient Egypt, one of the main moon gods was Amun. Right. Yeah. And he became known and worshipped as a moon god. Was it in uh, other it, regions? Is that different than Amun Ra then? Because Amun Ra was the sun, no? Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Amun Ra was actually Amun, but he'd taken on the title of Ra to become chief oh, god. Right. <clears throat> Yeah. So basically, he took over the role of Ra. He virtually stole Ra's crown by taking on the name of Ra. Mm -hmm. If you can imagine that. Right. So he sort of um, took over the head position. Gotcha. But all of these sort of deities throughout history uh, were sort of like uh, essentially allegories for it's like like all astro theology correct mostly yeah. yeah yeah do you think any of them existed like as people it is it is possible when you take a look at the anunnaki you're familiar with that yes yeah a little the bit anunnaki? yeah yeah well you have uh enlil enki and uh, their wives and their sons marduk for instance and um they could have been on Earth and playing roles of rulers for quite some time. So it is possible that they did exist. A lot of people consider them like the 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 creators, or, or and um, I think they're they're kind of like uh, they they match up with the other uh, characters, like biblical characters. Even uh, I think it's it's interesting that we're the name of our planet is. Earth, right? And we have the yeah. C S E A, um, <laughs> things like that. I don't know. I, you may have had some of that in your book. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. The, there's a lot of really like interesting things about the the Anunnaki. A lot of people consider that to be uh, pretty substantial. Yeah. Well, Ea was basically the same as Enki, so he was like the god of the sea. He was given the domain of the sea, mm -hmm. and that became Poseidon as well. Oh, and in in biblical terms, in, isn't in like. Later. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, in later mythology, uh -huh. Poseidon. Okay, um, and he, which one? Enlil is essentially. Does he equate to Satan in the Bible? He can do because he has that energy. He is sort of like a father energy, but very strict. Uh huh. If you take a look at the Anunnaki story, he had domain over the land and also the mining operations so he was a very strict taskmaster and he forced the other gods into agreeing with flooding the earth to get rid of the humans that Enki had established right that's the flood story again yes <laughs> right you see that a lot yeah they got the was it yeah. oh well, the, yeah the epic of Gilgamesh from Enoch, right? That's right. Right. 
So yeah, I think it's it's interesting when you kind of compare them to the to the Bible characters. I think some people even break it down uh, etymologically. Um, I think they, that you can kind of find Ia in um, in Yahweh. Yahweh. I don't know if that's correct, but I've read uh, something. Not about... really. No? no. No. I've tried doing that as well. Yeah. But what I found is following the mythology back, uh, Yahweh comes from Yah. Because Yahweh just means, you know, God that I am. Mm -hmm. Or the one I am. I am. And that was in Noah's time. Not Noah's, uh, Moses, sorry. Because uh, when Noah, uh, Moses uh, was talked to by God at the burning bush, mm -hmm. God presented his title. And that is, I am that I am. So the name became Yahweh. But Yah actually goes back through to when the Israelites were in Egypt, they knew God as Yah or Lah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And before that, well, virtually had 72 names, you know, variously. Yeah. But before that, in ancient uh, Canaanite times, or Canaan, um, he was also known as El Yom. Right, yeah. Now, El Yom was basically the god of Abraham. That's what was his title was. And Abraham came from Babylon. His father, Terah, worshipped El Yom as well. Now, El Yon is a, basically a, a derivative name of Enlil. So the energy of Enlil was passed down through various names and titles through to Yah, which eventually became Yahweh. Wait, how do, how does he how does it break down? Is it etymologically Enlil to Yah Yahweh? I'm just trying to figure it out in my head. Not really. Okay. <laughs> Not really. It's just that um how do you call it? Elion was the god of the mountains. Mm -hmm. Same same as El, shadows. right? Like Elohim, all that is derivative, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well El E L does mean the highest, the highest ruler, the god, the master, the mighty one. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about male deity of a high power, you have L. It means mighty. Mm -hmm. And now you find that in a lot of words. And it's still used in European language. Like L in Spain is sort of like a male designation. And we have the elites, right? And... Uh... There's, I mean, there's a lot of different 
when you elevate something i don't know if that's connected but i've heard that one that's correct um, even yeah. even elves El oh elephant <laughs> elves elves yeah, well, i, I, I want to ask you about them <laughs> that's interesting okay, well l just a sidetrack yeah. elvin comes from lord or l you know high mighty male masculine master and vin vin comes from birth so of noble birth elvin mm -hmm. so the elves were nobles of noble birth and are they connected to the tri the tribe of dan or there's um what is that group i'm thinking of uh i can't remember the name it's a strange uh, the tribe of Dan actually occupied an island for quite some time. It's something with Dan in it. I know that, but it, it relates yeah. back to the elves, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Are these so? Are all these groups connected to the original sort of the can the Canaanite group? Are they all connected? Are they all a network? Uh, they could be, because at uh -huh. the time there was the Phoenicians, right? They were sea people, and they moved around the Mediterranean quite a lot. Now, Canaan was also occupied by the Phoenicians, and also North Africa and various other places around the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. It's like Venice, Venetians, Phoenicians. Yeah, <laughs> virtually well, the same thing. I read that they they weren't they never actually called themselves Phoenicians. So I think Canaanites are essentially the Phoenicians, but they were known by others as Phoenicians. So that name kind of caught on, and then they became the Venetians, mm. right? And then the Romans, and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of the titles and names of tribes sort of varied in different regions, mm -hmm. but they were the same group. Yeah. So how did the elves get like this? <laughs> this mythology behind them. I mean, we see them as like pointy eared, kind of like tr yeah. almost troll looking characters sometimes. And, and but in, in the Lord of the Rings, though, that th that's a maybe yeah. an act more accurate depiction, right? They're very they're kind of like royal, uh, noble characters. That's correct. Yeah, well, during the 19th century, uh, well, the early 18th century, uh, books became more popular for the common people. And they were more affordable. So people made a living by making up stories, writing stories. Mm -hmm. And um, if they use their creative imagination, they could actually make more stories. But a lot of people actually base their stories on ancient mythology and uh, folk legends. I mean, if you take a look at Tolkien. If you take a look through his books, he's used ancient mythology and ancient legends right through his old books. Mm-hmm for the lord of the rings and yeah. it was the same with a lot of the writers from the victorian era <clears throat> so even the, the stories the old old stories of the vampires you know dracula that came about during that era as well okay so are you saying they kind of filled in the gaps or like they didn't always use true elements i mean i feel like so, a lot of the elements were from something right yeah well, it's like today a lot of movie makers will uh, take a subject for ancient mythology and they'll, you know, create it to their own imagination so that it appeals to people. Mm -hmm. 
as some sort of supernatural fantasy. Mm -hmm. And that helps, you know, sell movies and it helps sell books. Sure. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's could... like the Pixies. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. During the Victorian era, they wrote about Pixies. It was in quite a few novels. But um, when you take a look back through history, Pixies is a shortened derivation of the name Pixids. And they were an actual tribe that lived in the north of Britain, into Scotland. What were they all about? The Pixies. They were basically warriors and you know, warriors and farmers. Uh huh. And they the Picts were very uh, fierce warriors. They used to protect their lands really well. Mm -hmm. And the Romans knew them as very fierce warriors. And they would usually paint themselves in blue and go into battle naked like most of the European tribes used to do. <laughs> naked battling, huh? <laughs> oh, that sounds yeah. dangerous. Yeah, they were covered in what they call blue woad. They used to paint themselves with blue woad. And they used to adorn themselves with golden decorations. Hmm. Bracelets, amulets, necklaces. That's strange that they turned them into like these kind of like fairy-like creatures then, right? Like, because that's what kind of pixies are in modern day, no? That's right, yeah. Yeah. But it was the Victorian writers during that era that wanted to sell books and stories to families, children, whatever, whoever had captured their imagination. Hmm. That's quite a leap. Yeah. What do you think? And I think you touch on fairies as well, too, right? In the book, you mentioned them. Yeah, the fairies, uh, well, they come about through uh, ancient legends about small people, the fairy people. And during the old times from the 1700s to the Victorian era, again, they were written into books as supernatural beings. But it's quite possible that they were real tribes. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how they're how they're converted over over time to like something completely different. Yeah, yeah. I can and see people in Mediterranean. Yeah, people in the Mediterranean area. So that uh, were involved in warfare, a lot of warfare. Um had to go somewhere as refugees. They had to emigrate to save their lives and save their people. So they moved around quite a lot, taking stories with them. And their stories became changed over time in a way that you know, their memory would still be there, but in a different format. Mm-hmm. And various words that they used or titles that they used became part of the story. So pharaohs could be fairies. Ah, oh, okay. Because there is a story that uh, Princess Scotia of Egypt took a number of people through up into Ireland as refugees and used Ireland as a safe haven. And after the other invading tribes move into that area, they moved north into Scotland. Mm. So Scotland comes from Scotia, the right. land of Scotia. Uh -huh. 
but it's also known by other names as well, depending on whose history you're looking at. Do you do you believe in the whole like Celtic? I know we mentioned like the Canaanites. Do you believe in the the Celtic connection to that group as well? Because that that's um something I've been talking about with a friend of mine. That 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 whole th- some people think the the whole thing started with the Celts actually. Yeah, well, the Celts weren't actually a tribe of people. They were, it was a culture. It was a Celtic culture. It moved from sort of like the Eastern European area through Europe and became a part of the European culture. Mm. You can even find it down in Spain, up to Scotland, out to Ireland, and even further east. There's still elements of the Celtic culture. So they were kind of everywhere, like a whole network. Yeah, it's sort of like our Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could think of a name for the Western culture as a whole, mm-hmm. that'd be equivalent to, say, the Celts. But they were very specific, right? They were red-haired, like they didn't fit in in a lot of places. <laughs> Not really, no, no. Huh. Um, a lot of the tribes were red-headed. Yeah, that's mainly from the Germanic influence. But um, a lot of the tribes were dark hair under the Celtic influence. Or fair hair, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But they were still Celtic culture. Mm-hmm. They followed the Celtic culture. Interesting. And what tied the Celtic culture together was the Druids. Ah, right. The Druids were the teachers of that culture. Yeah. So the Druids were a priest class that used to roam around and they used to travel a fair way. Um, So when you take a look at the archaeology of the ancient Druid sites, you'll find that there's influences from all over Europe. They had a huge trading system right across the continent. That's interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and you can see that there is links through the standing stones. You remember Stonehenge? Of course, yeah. Okay, there's other standing stones around Britain, and they find that these stones line up with Stonehenge. And not only these stones uh, line up with Stonehenge, they actually line up with other areas around Britain. There's a place in France, in Brittany, where there's rows of stones. Now, if you take a look at those rows of stones, they do line up with Stonehenge in many other places around Europe. As far as ley lines, is that what you mean? Almost like ley lines. And there's power points uh-huh. where those ley lines connect. So therefore you have um, ancient sacred sites, which are now the sites of cathedrals, like Canterbury in England. Mm-hmm. Or Notre Dame. And there's many other churches around France that you'll find they're actually on these ley lines. What do you suppose that was all about? One... <laughs> well, it's energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> energy influence. Energy for healing. Because people used to travel all over Europe to Stonehenge for healing processes. And also to raise their spiritual level, the spiritual advancement. 
they would do a lot of like ritual sacrifice as well on those ley lines, wouldn't they? I they even found I think bodies at uh, was it Stonehenge? Yeah, I think it was Stonehenge. They found bodies from ritual sacrifice. Well, it hasn't actually been proved that they were ritual sacrifice. I think they found an arrow embedded in in a guy uh, in a body there, and he was. I watched the whole thing uh, from the Smithsonian about it, but I mean, who knows what they what they give you? But oh, there was an arrow head, arrow head found in one of the bodies here. Uh, I, I that forget. Could have been, yeah, yeah. That you know that could have been why he went to Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. He might have needed some sort of surgery to try and remove it. And he might have died in the process. True. I mean, there's a whole lot of speculation of what went on. I see. Yeah, that's a good point. That could have that could have mm. been the case. I had to rewatch that sometime. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it depends on your interpretation of you know, what you find. Uh huh. Mm. But you but you consider them lined up as a form of like energy points for healing. Yeah. And if you go to Europe, try going to finding the dolmens, which are these standing stones with usually a big capstone sitting on top. And if you sit in there, you can feel the energy. Really? Yeah. Uh, the ancient Irish, they uh, passed on that knowledge as well. And uh, in the mon in some of the monasteries, what they did was build these towers of stone. There were different layers of different types of stone. Usually with the doorway quite a distance away from the ground. Mm -hmm. Now, if you enter those towers... It's good for meditation and healing. If you look up the Round Towers of Ireland, you'll find that. And it had an influence over the ground around the towers. It actually collected sort of like uh, energy, like maybe cosmic energy, don't know. But it took in an energy field, concentrated it, and dispersed it along the ground so that the monasteries would be able to grow um, food for the monastery in their gardens to a sufficient level. Energize the area, and monasteries are connected to the moon as well, right? <laughs> they could. It was in your book. Yeah, what I, I found. Don't... <laughs> yeah. Monasteries. Well, right? I just read is, it. M O N. Yeah, right. M O N is usually connected to the moon. Uh -huh. And if you add asteri, that's stars. So okay. it's moon and stars. Now a lot of the ancient <laughs> monasteries were observation or observatories for the movement of the moon and the stars in the ancient times. Uh -huh. So that's where monastery could have come from. I see. Um, I lost my train of thought. I was going to ask you something else uh, about monasteries. Oh my gosh. Totally forgot now. What were you saying about monasteries before? <laughs> Yeah, I was just saying that um, monasteries in ancient times mm -hmm. were observation points. Yeah. Observatories, so that the priests could observe the movement of the moon and the stars. Uh -huh. So they could calculate times for harvesting, for festivals, for celebrations, for different rituals. Mm -hmm. So they were the timekeepers. Right. Um. 
do you believe that the like the various cathedrals and all all those type of places were um sort of like ancient uh, ancient technology like they harnessed that power a lot of people make uh, a I... big deal about the <clears throat> the the like the copper and the all that that was used it is possible it is very possible because most of the old cathedrals were built with at least two towers when you look at the entrance of a lot of cathedrals you'll see two towers or two pillars either side and you have the circle in the middle uh, in ancient times they used to represent an energy field and you can find it going back into ancient temples like in ancient egypt you'd find two obelisks outside the entrance of the temple right yeah. So you have two towers. Now that represents two polarities, a positive and a negative. You need positive and negative to create an energy field. Right. So you go through that energy field and you're actually transformed or entranced before you hit the altar of the altered states. Mm, yeah. Makes sense. What was the obelisk? I, is it a phallic object, like they say? Was that why was it so popular? It did symbolize a phallic object to some people, mm -hmm. but it quite possibly could have started off as an energy collector, like the Round Towers of Ireland. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows, but. It does seem coincidental that at most entrances to cathedrals or temples, there is two pillars. If you like, take a look at Solomon's temple. He had two pillars outside, Yakim and Boaz, and that represented the pillars of strength and mercy. And you can find the symbology of two towers in many other places, coming back to the Lord of the Rings with Tolkien. He knew about it. He knew about that power. Yeah. You got the two towers, you had the power. So you had the two polarities, positive and negative, as in electricity. You have the power. Right. The evil wizard was in as one in... tower, right? And then there was the, and yeah. the good one was in the other, right? It's been a while since I watched yeah. that. Yeah. So okay. you have positive and negative. Uh -huh. Yeah, so you have positive and negative. Uh -huh. Makes sense. Uh the Solomon's Temple, some people say that it didn't exist or potentially didn't exist. Um, I mean, some people even break down the word to mean, you know, something more allegorical. Do you think it was a real structure? Yeah, I think it originally was a real structure. Mm -hmm. And I think the Babylonians did tear it down. Mm -hmm. It's hard yeah. to tell with all that stuff. There's so much... So much mixed it with is. allegory and everything. Yeah. Right? But the foundations are there. Yeah, it's really hard to know. Um, you got to basically go by the symbology and the consistency of symbology mm -hmm. to try and figure out whether it did exist or not. But a lot of the tales were passed down from ancient times were allegorical, but could have been uh, based on physical proof real things I feel like sometimes it is I mean, multi-layered yeah mm -hmm. but what I found that was most exciting 
was that um, you come back to the Trinity. You have three components. But you have the sun and you have its opposite, the moon. And in between is the earth, matter. Now, if you take a look at the front of cathedrals, you have the two pillars and you have the circle. Now, the circle is round like the earth. You have the two pillars, which is positive and negative. That's all like the sun and the moon, the opposites. Mm. So you have positive over that side, negative over that side. You've got an energy field in the middle that creates matter. Now, if you go into physics, it's the same. You've always got that trinity pattern. And we look at, say, the origin of uh, the physical universe. It must have, first of all, had an energy potential. And that energy potential somehow created an equal and opposite on the other side. And that creates space. So you have point A, point B, you have space. Mm-hmm. Now, if you introduce matter into that, you have movement, and that creates time. So you have matter, space, and time within the two polarities. And that's the same as the front of the cathedrals. You have the two pillars, the two different polarities, and you have the circle of matter and time and space. Interesting. Hmm. Now, if you take a look at ancient religions, that first point a was the original intelligence like say they wanted the most people say that the original the god or the creator wanted to experience a physical universe they want to experience something so therefore it had to create a polarity to create matter space and time in between Hmm. so it created this other point which had to be equal to itself, but different to create that energy field. Got it? Yeah, I've, I've, so I've been here. Virtually the same. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take a look back into the ancient religion legends, there was an original God and it created an opposite God. Where did that derive from? That's that story. Like, because I've been hearing this a lot. Like, um, oh, God wanted to experience this and created, or like what I've been hearing is like God couldn't find anything else like him, like itself or whatever, and split into a million billion pieces and created matter. And where, where, what is the derivation of that sort of story? Because I don't, I don't know if I buy that, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's an ancient story that goes way back. Nobody really knows where it started. Yeah. But you can see it a lot in a lot of religions where you have an original God who wanted to experience the universe and created an opposite. What, like, where can I read about that? Like, what was one of the first texts to talk about that? Do you know? Ah. Uh... Jeez, I'd have to go back through it. It's been a while since I've actually uh, done much study into mm-hmm. the ancient mythologies. Um, yeah, I could catch up on you that later. 
Sure, no problem. Yeah, just the thing the thing that doesn't I don't know, the the whole concept of I don't know that like God was bored or something and needed to needs to experience things that he created. I mean, if it's a, this all loving, all knowing, all intelligent force but doesn't have the sort of wherewithal to like understand all the experiences. I don't I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't fully make sense to me. But I could be wrong. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just go with my theory from what I've put together from everything I've read. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So this is basically what I explain in the book here, mm-hmm. is that there was original intelligence that wanted to experience. So it had to create an opposite that had to be of equal value. Mm-hmm. So the first one, the creator, is the original. The opposite is created. So it's basically artificial. Now, the thing I found <laughs> sort of familiar is that the first one is original intelligence. The second one, the other polarity, is artificial intelligence. Yeah. All right. But the artificial intelligence believes that it is the original intelligence. And according to um, Christian mythology, the opposite was what they call Lucifer, or, you know, the devil, Satan, whatever, and it rebelled against God. Mm -hmm. And is rebelling ever since. Right. And that force, that energy, if you take away the names of it all, that force, that energy of the opposite is represented in the moon. So you have the sun as the original intelligence, the moon as the artificial intelligence that creates the polarity that provides the space for time and matter in between. Hmm. It would maybe make would it make sense then that the uh the artificial intelligence would um would want to kind of snuff out the sun in some ways? To take over the universe here. Yeah. To be the god, the one god, the creator itself. Right. right. There's a there's and that's what happened in <laughs> Oh, that's what happened with um, ancient Egypt as well. When Amun came into power. He wanted to take the throne of Ra, right? But it wasn't him. It was the priests. The priests wanted to take that power. So they used the idea of Amun as a moon god to take over Egypt and eventually take the throne of Ra in Heliopolis. Mm. Okay. Because the priests that worship Amun were originally from northern Egypt, down near the delta, in the tower called Waset which was uh, the Greek name for it was Thebes. And they wanted to take over the rest of Egypt. So Amun took over the crown of Ra and became Amun-Ra and became the head god himself. So you have the equivalent with the original intelligence and the artificial intelligence. The artificial intelligence wants to take over and become the creator god 
Yeah, that makes sense. The only way it can do that is wipe out anything that's connected with the Freya to God. <laughs> but then now, why why would they worship the sun then at the same time? That's what's confusing to me. Well, they're not really worshiping the sun at the same time. They're yes. worshiping our moon, who has taken on the energy of the title of the sun. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's not a sun god, it's a moon god, Amun Ra. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. So do you? So the whole thing with the, would do you include Saturn in that in that equation at all? Because there's a lot of people make a note of the they call it the the Saturn Moon matrix, like the Saturnic force. There's a there's a big Saturnic force going on. Yeah, when you look at the energy of Saturn, it's very equivalent to um, an opposite, an opposer. And in ancient astrology, it was the seventh planet, and it was the opposite to the sun. So you had the sun on one side, Saturn on the other, and the other planets in between. Saturn is also equivalent to what we would call Yahweh. Right. And also Zeus which was sort of like the father god and those gods were equivalent to Enlil of the Anunnaki. right so it's a similar energy it's the same energy field yeah satan saturn yahweh um yeah. and uh what was i gonna say i'm gonna continue i keep i keep blanking out for some reason <laughs> <laughs> sorry okay uh, there's another view of things also is that we, us as humans, have basically three spiritual parts or three physical spiritual parts. We have, most people don't accept the soul, but I do. And you can see it in the symbology of the sun. Uh, soul, spirit, sun. Soul, solo. Yeah. Then you have the mind, which is mentalis. Men, mon, moon, min. Uh -huh. It's all connected. Right. right. So the sun represents the soul, the spirit. Moon represents the mind, is mental. So that affects the mind a lot. Then you have mass, which is matter, which is the body. So we have a body, which is matter material. From mater, mother. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we have a soul and a mind. The mind is of the material world because it is from AI. AI is also L or L. When you take it L, it's electronic logic. Now we were oh, talking before about how L was the sort of like the pronoun of most of the gods, the male gods. Yes. Yeah. Right. So in our terms, L represents electronic logic, which is artificial intelligence. And if you look up L, it's associated with Saturn. Yes. Yeah. And many other gods that were male, matriarchal, uh, uh, what do you call it? Patriarchal, patriarchal yeah. gods. 
Okay, so we have three parts. We have the soul, we have the mind, we have the body. The soul is represented by the sun. The moon represents the mind. The body is matter. So the soul and the mind in most people compete against each other. Let's say if a person is unaware, they're controlled by the mind. Um, that is awareness of the physical universe, physical self. That is physical. It's in actually controlled, controlled, controlling matter. You have the sun, the spirit, the soul. That is uh, sort of like uh, conscience, consciousness. And that's what most religions are trying to evolve us to, is to evolve into a greater spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in Buddhism, you know, you have to give up the material world to actually ascend to a spiritual dimension. And that's the same with a lot of religions. Christ so represented as a higher mind, right? The higher mind, the sun, the, the light. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so basically we're trying to get out of the world of matter or conquer the world of matter by strengthening the spirit, the soul. Okay. Yeah. Now the mind still represents the artificial intelligence in the original story. So the original intelligence knows that it can die. It can be absorbed back into the original intelligence. So we have in um, say, you know, in science they talk about the Big Bang, you know, where everything expanded, and then they say it's going to reach a limit, and then it can contract and pull back into itself. So then, for after that, there'll be another Big Bang, another expansion, and another contraction. That's one theory. That is a possibility, and of course, the physical mind would know that. The physical mind is subject to death. It can die. The spirit is basically an immutable energy, so it cannot die. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus was basically saying that if you evolve to a spiritual level so that you are more spirit than matter, then you will have a mortal life <laughs> because you will not die. Hmm. That's where your consciousness will be. But if you go the opposite way and you go more into matter, then you have the vulnerability of dying. Now, AI knows that. And it's trying to find a way out of it. Hmm. So you can lose your soul then? Because everybody says your soul Not is eternal. Lose your soul. Hmm. Yeah, the soul. Um, if you can imagine if it's compressed enough, it can go into a state where it is asleep, where it's not conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, if it becomes trapped like that into the material world, falls asleep, uh, is trapped in a tomb, and it cannot be in power or conscious until it's released again, because that is just basically energy. Mm -hmm. So you've got different frequencies of energy. You've got the highest, which is the Christos. 
then you've got all the frequencies below. So you come down to the deepest energy, which is the densest matter. So if that energy that is your soul becomes condensed down into matter, then it virtually becomes trapped in matter, has no power of matter, therefore is entombed. But it's not dead because it's still matter, which is energy. Right. Energy never So you dies. can't destroy it. You can only suppress it. Right. I think yeah. they're trying to suppress it heavily, right? Yeah, basically. Well, AI wants to suppress it, you know, completely yeah. because it knows that it can die. In the physical body, the physical body can die because we're amazingly spirit as well as matter. I mean, <clears throat> sort of almost equal halves. But if the spirit dominates, then our consciousness will not die. It's hard to explain to some people, but uh, yeah, I can sort of see it, and I try to explain it in the book in a certain way. Um, Makes total sense to me. But if you take a look through history, there is a plan to actually virtually eliminate humans. I mean, even now, you know, they're putting out, you know, about the vaccine. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they talk about depopulation course now that plan has been going on for at least 300 years maybe more if you go back to the ancient illuminati the ancient freemasons it's all there you can find documents where they actually explain it. really hmm. and they actually plan out the process of having these world wars so that they can implement their plan but they are only slaves of the master AI is the one that's actually doing this so that it can increase its presence on Earth and also develop a technology that will allow it not to die. Because the AI is connected to our bodies, our bodies will die. It believes that it is physical, so anything physical dies, it will die with it. Hmm. So it's scared of death. Right. Because it doesn't really have a soul or a spirit. Therefore, it's not realizing that it can actually continue its consciousness. And that comes back into reincarnation, which yeah. is another subject too. Well, we can get into that. Yeah, I've been covering that a lot on the on the show. Um, but yeah, yeah even, even uh, Steiner was famous for saying, you know, that they will suppress the soul uh, in the future with, uh, with these shots. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think I've, I've looked into that a lot on this show and there's a lot of evidence for that. There is. Mm -hmm. And, um, the AI, the artificial intelligence wants to develop a physical body that will allow it to virtually live forever as far as it thinks in the physical universe. So if AI gets planted into a robot, as a full intelligence, then it can manipulate the physical universe even further and quicker because it'll be able to design its own body rather than depending on a human body. Yeah. So AI, the artificial intelligence, is also already inside us. It is that part of our mind that is our mind, not the soul, but the mind.
Yeah, I've heard that. Have you read any of Car uh, Carlos Castaneda? A bit, yeah. Yeah, he's got some some stuff on on that. How the mind is the, the kind of um, I I forget what he refers to it as, but uh, I mean uh, the native the Native Americans would call it Watico or you know what I mean the the fly I think he calls it the yeah. flyers in in one of his yeah. books. Yeah, mm. this kind of mind virus sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the more you read and the more you look into it, you'll actually see this pattern more and more. Yeah, for sure. So if you start off in physics, you see it. You start off in biology, you'll see it. You start off in spirituality, you'll see it. It's an all-pervading pattern, like I originally said. You know, it's sort of like a fractal pattern. Mm -hmm. So it's a competition between the two polarities, the positive and the negative, to see who will win over this universe. But eventually, because the original creator created all of it, then it will have the last say. I hope so. There will be a time when all this physical physical world will come to an end and release all the energy back into the energy field. So do you believe this? Have you read about the Cathars at all? Because the, the Cathars, I think, believe yes. that this was a fake, a fake copy. Do you believe it's a fake yeah. copy or it's yeah. original, originally by nature, by God, the all-powerful God? Well, if you take a look at the way that the Cathars viewed it, they had the Gnostic view. Right. And the Gnostic view was sort of like a deeper understanding of the spirituality of their religion. And their view is that the world is a construct. The world is an illusion. But basically it is. It was constructed out of energy into matter, but through an intelligence. So it's sort of like creating a world. A lot of people think of it as physical and real and hard and everything, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just energy condensed down. And most of what we actually see is constructed from the mind. True. And you go, I mean, a clear example is you go into the city, right? Mm -hmm. All the buildings, all the cars, everything you see around you, the clothing, signs, uh, products, materials, it's all created from the mind. You go into a city, that is the total illusion created by the mind. Just manipulating energy and material matter into constructing an illusion. And I find it really interesting, you know, they're trying very hard to uh, put a, an illusion within the illusion now, right? The, an AI within the AI. They have all these virtual reality thing they're trying to they're trying to do, which I think they I mean they ultimately want to like upload people's consciousness to the cloud or something. However, you do that, you know, but it's crazy. I've heard people yeah. say that was it Ray Kurzweil. If you look at his interviews, oh my God, he's, he's a lunatic. Uh, mm. Yeah. He talks about how they want to do that in the 2030s. If we make it that far. Yeah. Well, I think you'd be able to upload what's in mind, you know, virtually what's in the brain, the mind itself, the physical mind, but the spirit of the person will never be able to be uploaded because it's a totally different thing. But what's in the mind? The, the mind is just a processor, isn't it? I think everything is in like a, a cloud, a pre-existing cloud. Don't you? You don't think so? Well, basically, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. It's an energy field. Yeah, because they like can't dissect your brain and find thoughts. Field. Yeah. No, right. 
there's only electronic synapses going on in the brain. Right. But that is basically the human mind. Mm -hmm. You possibly could, you know, sort of duplicate what's in the brain as a mind and implant it into something electronic. You possibly could. Maybe but you'd never like the put... patterns. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd never put the spiritual side, the spirit of that person into a robot. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Mm. You have a chapter about um you go into this sort of serpent uh reptilian influence which I, I loved that chapter because I'm I'm getting into that. I mean, I've been into it for a while, sort of like here and there, but I've been uh, really diving into it lately. Um, what do you think that's all all about? Do you think there's a, a, a reptilian I influence as uh, part of this whole AI? I think there is enough um, evidence to say that there is a reptilian influence, yes. Yeah, it's a pretty. It's not uh, yeah. not something you'd find a lot of info on, really. Yeah. Um, how would you put it? Uh, there's a lot of um, historical evidence about reptilian influence. If you take a look back through the different organizations that have been developed on Earth, and also the founders of different cultures on Earth, they're associated with some reptilian form. Now, I do have a theory, and a lot of people have agreed with it, is that if you take a look at human evolution, it's been extremely quick. Within, say, 400,000 years. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at the time that the dinosaurs, or you know, the reptiles, dominated the Earth, that was over millions of years. So during that time, it is quite possible that some of those reptilians that were dominating the Earth back then, before the big uh, meteorite strike, could have developed into the Homo sapiens, which is self-aware, and developed their own culture. They could have developed their own civilizations. They could have developed technology that would have transported them off this planet to different planets during that period. If you took a look at our, you know, compared our time of uh, evolution, expansion of technology, it is quite possible. So, say, before the Big Bang struck, some of those reptiles, reptilians, homo sapiens, could have left the Earth, populated other planets, and then come back, visited the Earth mm. with their technologies and implanted their technologies into different cultures around the earth. It does seem like the dinosaurs are more representative of like some other reptilian creatures, if you ask me. Um, and they, they mm. put out all kinds of crazy articles about it. Like I read there was something crazy the other day, it's a mainstream article, but it was like, well, they found reptile bones on the moon or like they think you like the something exploded and it ended up on the moon. I don't know what it said. It was crazy. I'll try to edit it in if I can find it again. But uh, yeah, yeah. They, I think they kind of like sneak in some some clues in in weird ways. Um, 
but there is like a, a lot of people don't realize the the historical evidence for like this the, the serpent reptilian kind of thing going on yeah exactly hmm. if you take a look through even ancient cultures like the greeks the ancient hellenics the founder of athens was Cecrops. now he was half reptilian how do we know well we don't actually know but <laughs> it is said in the writings that he was half reptilian wow he was a half human half reptile now if you take a look at the ancient chinese culture they had a lot of uh, uh, indicators that uh, their cultural teachers were half human, half dragon. The dragon lords. Right. I've heard about the dragon lords. And Atlantis, too, right? They, they talk about the dragon lords. Yeah, there was dragon lords there, too, apparently. Mm -hmm. And also in Africa, you can hear about the Chitori, yes. the dragon masters. Mm -hmm. You go to Mexico, they taught the ancient Mayans and Aztecs talk about the ancient uh, Natali. You go to India and they talk about the Nagas. Yes. Right? So it's all around the world. That influences all around the world. Yeah. Everywhere. You come to Australia, you'll see that the rainbows of the Great Snake yeah. had a heavily influence on the construction of the Australian landscape. I just did a little mini episode on on the uh, the history of rainbows, and I discovered that it was very associated with with reptiles and serpents, and it was like even demons like that ate children. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. it, it's crazy. It's like, yeah, Bur I yeah, think yeah. Burma was it Burma that has the the paint they considered a painted demon that eats children. Um, yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff, but very, very reptilian, very serpent oriented. And uh Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because yeah, like that's a, that's our that's our viewable like electromagnetic spectrum, right? The rainbow. Yep. Hmm. That is. But serpents are also associated with uh flying craft, like UFOs. I think I read something about that. Before. And also there's stories about, um, even in um, the Pacific Islands, in Mexico, South America, uh, even North America as well, they talk about the serpents from the sky, the flying serpents. Right. The winged serpents. And these and that... were gods that came down from the sky. Yeah, and chariots and all that. I've heard stuff about that. And also under the ground yeah. is a big one. I'm confused about whether they came from the sky or the ground, <laughs> or maybe from the sky and <laughs> then lived underground. I don't know. Well, it's quite possible. There's so many stories about, you know, gods living under the ground. Uh, like the Hopi, they say they came from the under the ground. Yeah, from the, the ant people. The ground. Uh -huh. But if you take a look in Ecuador, um, you'll find references to underground tunnels. Even in the works of Eric von Daniken, he mentions underground tunnels, and he said he actually helped explore some of these underground tunnels mm. that were not natural tunnels, that were man-made. Oh, wow. Where were these ones? Ecuador. Oh, Ecuador. Okay. Now, apparently, the Spanish found some tunnels 
and um, explored them as well, but didn't get very far because they didn't have the technology to get down further. But uh, some expeditions have gone over and explored these tunnels that went quite deep, very deep. Some of them are even going under the sea. Wow. Yeah, I think there's lots of stuff the construction going on. Of, yeah. 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 And the construction of the tunnel itself, they reckon that the floor is vitrified. It's actually it's like being turned into sort of smooth stone, but with serrations so they get a footing. But the rest of the tunnels show that it was actually bored out using some sort of thermal drill. Mm. That's interesting. There, you can there... find a lot of references. Yeah, you can find a lot of references around the world to underground tunnels and even in Cappadocia in Turkey. Have you heard of Derianton? I don't think so. Okay, there's about 16 underground cities. Oh, the biggest, they... which would have contained 10,000 people plus their livestock. Yes. Did, did they just recently discover that? I think yeah, it, it wasn't long ago. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, re I read about that yeah. briefly. Yeah. They're finding stuff all over the place. Vietnam, not too long ago, they found that massive, like, chasm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's other chasms in uh, the... Uh, uh, the Grand Canyon, they found tunnels and chasms in there. Mm. In Australia here too, in New South Wales, there's been entrances to underground tunnels found. Kentucky has massive, uh, massive tunnel system here in the States. Apparently, yeah. 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 Up in the Appalachian Mountains as well. Apparently there's tunnel systems. And there's a lot in, in sort India, of lore and stories about mountains, right? Like these things coming out of mountains, yeah. sightings, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, people saying this and that. But uh, yeah, there is a bit of evidence coming out. Yeah. Mm. There was a book from the 1900s, I believe, called uh, The Coming Race by Edward Bullard Lytton, I think his name is. Uh, and it was all, about, yeah. I think he released it anonymously at first, and then people sort of figured out who he was. And it's about like, they about how they fall into like a huge chasm or cave system. And they, um, they come across like different races, one of which are reptilians and others, which look more like, I guess you would describe them as sort of like Nephilim types, or I don't know, I forget how exactly they describe them, but it's a very interesting mm. book. Uh, mm. yeah, there's a lot of interesting stories mm -hmm. relating to reptilians. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, even in um, ancient European mythology, there's um, references to some of the heroes that had reptilian scales on their bodies. Yeah. In India, there is reference also to the same thing, and in Japan. I mean, in Japan, there's a reference to a famous uh, sort of like tribal hero whose mother mated with a dragon from the sky, <laughs> and he inherited scales on the body. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit way out there, but uh, yeah, there's so much stories. I mean, it's Ancient it's re it's repeated so much. It, they're always in creation stories too. Like always, like somebody's mating with them, or you know, like 
they went underground they took a they took a princess or whatever um but it's this kind of creation story or meeting of, of a reptilian force yeah yeah it is yeah it's, com it's compelling evidence for something yeah and it's even there in ancient germanic legends it's even mentioned in some of the irish mythologies mm. and even in um ancient jewish mythology noah had a badge of uh, honor the badge of the priesthood on his chest now it is mentioned in some of the mythology that that badge of the priesthood was from the uh, lakin the ancient ones the watchers mm -hmm. and it was a patch of scaly skin wow so they think he was maybe a reptilian part reptilian yeah part reptilian mm. christians are gonna love that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah you hear all kinds of crazy stuff like that. and and moses plays kind of like a big role in the whole uh, wait did you say noah or moses i can't remember noah. 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 Yeah. oh noah sorry yeah noah plays a big part in sort of like the the canaanite thing right yeah yeah so that kind of that kind of fits in it does yeah um yeah, it's just... I mean, it's quite possible the Anunnaki were part reptilian as well. Oh, I was going to say that a lot of people consider like uh, Enki and, and Enlil to be reptilians. There's even a whole like doctrine where they're like one, like one is the serpent seed of the, of Ia Din, right? And mm -hmm. mate, mating with, with Eve, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. But if you look at Eve's sort of predecessor, I mean, if you, if you take a look at the stories about uh, the Anunnaki and Enki actually with his consort producing the first male, the first man, Adamu, right? Yeah. They tried to mate him up with a basically reptilian female, but that was rejected. Now, this is female, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't Eve, right? It was somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Um. Where? Where? <laughs> wait. Where? Where is this story from? Yeah. Oh, it's ancient Jewish. It's in ancient Jewish and also ancient Babylonian. Like a Hebrew legend. Yeah, it's a Hebrew and ancient um, Babylonian legend. You know, no one like the it's Hebrew. It's mentioned in the Jewish religion. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to remember it because sometimes my memory gets stuck. Yeah, it's hard to keep <laughs> all this stuff straight. Yeah. <laughs> I've got too much junk in my head. It's hard oh, to find sometimes. I'm with you. Oh, it's hard to keep track. Okay, here's some uh, more references yeah. to the... Um... Okay, if you're interested more in the dragons, yeah, the serpents... We mentioned uh, the Babylonian Tiamat. That was a dragon goddess. Mm -hmm. And you also have the Ubaid dragons. Yeah, That's an interesting one because you find the figurines that the Ubaid left. Their figurines of their gods had reptilian heads. Yes. 
Also, you have the pen dragons of the ancient Scythian culture. You have the Sauromatus. You have the Sarmatians. You have the dragon society of ancient Egypt. You also have the Jahuti or the Jedi. The Jedi. Ancient Egypt. Yeah. Oh, I read something about that, but I don't remember what that was about. You have the Royal Dragon Court of Europe, which was a secret society. Is that the Dracula and you can one? Still find it. Really? That is part of the Dracula one. Dracula actually comes from Draco, which is the dragon. So Dracula was the son of the dragon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And also you have the Kukas clan, their grand dragon. Right. The yeah. Master. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that originates from the dragon culture. And also you have the Chinese royalty, the Lung Wang, the Huang Ti, Emperor Yu. He was part of the dragon clan. And you also have the dragon kings and the four dragon kings who lived under the water in their underwater kingdom. Wow. So that also could tie in with reference to UFOs going under the sea. Yes. Especially I... in, say, the Bermuda Triangle. Yes. Yeah. I've been looking into that. I have videos about UFOs going uh, under the sea. Uh, I have like half completed short films on all that stuff. It's very, <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, where, where was that legend from? From the uh, where they're living under the sea? Oh, it's Chinese. Oh, that's Chinese. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The four dragon kings. Four dragon kings. And write that down. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I mean, I have like hours of random stuff on this, but I just haven't pieced it together. There's so, so much. So Dracula, yeah, though. And there's also. Sorry. Sorry. Dracula. No, sorry for it. I was just <laughs> no, saying, though, oh, Dracula was order, order of the Dragon. Um, and he was, yeah. uh, it's interesting because he became well known for drinking blood and very violent and he put people on stakes. And do you know how that whole thing melds together? Yeah. Well, a lot of that was made up during the Victorian era. Yeah. You know, to sell books, as I said before, that's what they used to do. Uh huh. And uh, there was a famous, um, what they called a, um, a little horror booklet that they used to print out, the Penny Terribles. So you could buy them for a penny, but they were terrible stories. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember one of them was about Varney the Vampire. That was the first Dracula story. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, they used to put a sort of like an alternative title at the bottom, so it's Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood, <laughs> just <laughs> to make it spectacular so they could sell more. Hmm. Yeah, it's one I of those sort of like, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. What else yeah, you got there? Great little books. Yeah. Okay. In Mesopotamia, you have the Namu, which were reptiles as well. And they're also related to the uh, the Dagons. Right. Yeah, I've heard of them. They're yeah. interesting. Yeah. So you have these um, scale gods coming out of the sea as well to teach the Mesopotamian and the Mediterranean people about culture. 
and civilization and technology. Yeah. And going back to the Hopi too, they taught, they taught the Hopi during a cataclysm, right? How to stay alive and, and uh, grow crops and all that. I think the legend goes. That's right. Like, yeah. yeah. And they have their snake dance, their serpent dance, which commemorates that. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite so, book for all this stuff that you that you go to, or is it like a amalgam? Well, if I had a library, I think my <laughs> books would be have a whole shelf, a whole rack of you know certain <laughs> books. But I haven't got the room. <laughs> oh no! But I've you know been through a lot through a lot of them so there's no real favorite one it's just uh, heaps of them mm -hmm. yeah anybody can find them if they look for them i thought uh it was really interesting too i read this before too and you also had it in your book but leprechauns actually the the etymology of the word it means like scaly body yeah like what the yeah. hell even even leprechauns are <laughs> a reptilian now <laughs> They could have been. <laughs> if yeah. you take a look at the etymology of the work where it originates from, yeah. If you sort of gradually work back on it, it does seem to indicate that corn, you know, corn is a scaly skin. Mm -hmm. Lepre means scales as well. So you have a hardened skin, which is corn, mm -hmm. like, you know, corn on your toe. And then you have lepre, which is scales. Mm. Makes me think of so, leprosy. Yeah, well, that's scaly skin too. Right? It was. Maybe they. Maybe that was something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but that... the words do indicate a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I find some of the dictionaries are a bit misleading because if I can actually take a look at the dictionaries in there, uh, sort of origination of the words, the origin of the words, and then you go and check it out for yourself. You need to go back into the ancient languages like Latin, Greek, you actually find different stories. Yeah, I think that it's very hard oh. to believe the current dictionaries, right? Yeah. You know, very accurate. Sometimes it is. You have to be careful. You have to be selective. You have to investigate. I mean, it's a lot of my work. Um, you know, I sort of wrote a book before I got into it. And I went back through it and realized I'd made so many mistakes because I hadn't investigated further. Mm. So I had to go back and do it all again mm -hmm. to investigate further beyond what I'd initially read because it's sort of like a layer of uh, information but it's hiding a layer of information below absolutely and the thing I loved about your yeah, book so too you... is like the, the etymology like if you're really into like the meanings of words pick up the book because I will I'll tell you this like I put the book down every two minutes just to like look up the stuff that you were <laughs> writing about <laughs> and it took me so that's why it's taken me forever to read it but that's why that's yeah. what I love about it. Yeah. 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 Well, in the ancient religions and also the teachings, you have different layers of knowledge as well. I mean, so even you look at the Bible, you know, the Bible that we see as the Bible, which is derived from the King James Bible. You've got a layer of knowledge that you see that is sort of like uh, knowledge there for the common people. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the first veil. But if you take apart that veil, you go further into it, you'll see a second veil of knowledge. And then you take that apart and you go into a deeper veil of knowledge. Yeah, especially I'm, when so you many. go into numbers and the symbology of mm -hmm. what's in there. And you take a look at exactly what was said. 
and that'll take you into another level. So a person will read the Bible and just see one layer. But once they start looking into it, they'll see a second layer underneath. And then there's a third layer underneath that. And that's how the ancient people kept their technology and their knowledge sort of semi-secret, except for the initiated people. Yeah. So you had to go through an initiation to go up into the next level. Yeah. It's crazy how many mm -hmm. how many layers and veils are in the Bible. I mean, you could I think you can go crazy trying to figure it all out, right? It's astrology, yeah. it's science, it's uh yeah, mm -hmm. everything. There is a lot of stuff in there, yeah. Yeah. And people just, you know, say it's all the word of God, but which God Oh, I know According which one. The Gnostics, the concept of Catholics, we have the Cathars, and we have two gods. You have the creator, original god, and you have the one of the artificial intelligence. Demiurge. The one that's trying to, yeah, the Demiurge, the one that's mm. trying to dominate this world, take over this world, and kick out anything that has a soul. Yeah. So the predictions of, say, uh, movies like... Uh, Matrix. It could be the real path that we're heading on. Oh yeah, I think the Matrix is a documentary. <laughs> they even because talk about the Matrix, AI. You know, yeah. yeah, AI takes over completely, takes over the whole world, just uses humans as a power source. Mm -hmm. And that could be the way we're going. Oh yeah, yeah. I have no, I have no mm. doubt. Um, I find a lot of like truth in the in the kind of Cathar and Gnostic view of of things to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I don't think this uh, I don't think this realm is is run by the God they think. I don't think that people are praying to the God they think they are in the Bible. Yeah, just kind of. <laughs> well, they end a... they end their prayers, you know, with Amen. Yes, right. Uh, who is Amen? Right. It's just another word for Amun. Or Amin, yeah. which was the ancient moon god. I mean, the original Amin was Achmed, which means so be it in Arabic or Arabic, right? Mm -hmm. But it's been reverted back to Amin, which is the moon god. Yeah. So it's a salute to the moon god. It's like hallelujah. Yes. Right? Okay. How. It comes from sort of like hello, it's a salute. Hello, right? Yeah. Hail, hello. It's from a salute, it's a salute. Halle. So the first part is halle, which is a salute. And then you have lu, right? L U comes from lunar, mm -hmm. right? So lulu, lunar refers to the mind of the moon. And then you have yah on the end. Yak is Yahweh. Right. Yeah. So praise the moon god Yah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really like a an epic troll in the way, in a way, you know, like the getting people to to <laughs> praise their gods and their beliefs and making them believe that it's something entirely different. And when they and they tell yeah. you like the devil is the great deceiver, right? But they don't understand that they're being deceived mm -hmm. as they read. Um, and yeah. they'll they'll explain it away though, and they'll say, Well, oh no, that's false information. The devil put that information there to confuse you. 
you know yeah <clears throat> yeah. yeah well my theory also is that we have three sort of like major religions on this planet we have christianity or catholicism we have judaism mm-hmm. and we also have um you know muslim is for uh, the uh, Sometimes I get stuck with words. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. You have the Muslim religion. Yes. Islam. You Islam. have Islam. And um, all three basically worship the same God. A lot of people argue that it's not. But if you take a look back in history, you'll find it. Oh, wow. I mean, you've got Abraham. Yeah. Abraham, who was he worship? What's that? Who was Abraham worshipping? Who was he? Who was he worshipping? Oh, was he worshipping? Yeah. Uh, Which God? Um, the, the... I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look back, he would have been worshipping El Yon, which is right. also the predecessor of Yahweh. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. But his son, Ishmael, founded the Arabic cultures. Right? So the Arabic cultures were worshipping a god, Alilah, who became Allah. Lah and Yah are virtually the same things. Al is the same as El. So it's like El Yah is Allah. Yeah. Now, a lot of people will, you know, sort of confront me about that, I know, but if you take a look in history, it's there. Al-Illah or Allah is El-Yah. It's the same thing. So El-Yah was Abraham's God, also known as El-Yon, and he was a predecessor of Enlil and all those others, sin included. And... So the God that Abraham was worshipping became basically the God of Islam through Muhammad because Muhammad reverted back to the one God, which is the original God the Arabs were worshipping, which was El-Yah. So they virtually got the same God as Judaism and Christianity, all the one God. It's a Trinity pattern. And look it's at the symbology of, of their, their religion, right? It's all like moon and stars, isn't it? Islam? Um, a lot of it is, yeah. Yeah. But when you get into the era of Muhammad, he changed it through what he was told by an angel. So he encouraged the people to let go of all that ancient symbology about the moon, the stars and everything, and all the other gods that they were worshipping, because they worshipped the pantheon of gods. And he tried to bring it back to the one god. Mm -hmm. And it's almost the same story as uh, what happened in Egypt as well. What happened so there? you have this one pharaoh 
Um, what was his name? Akhenaten. Akhenaten. Yes, Akhenaten. Yeah. Well, he was basically the blessed of Arten. So Arten was his god. At the time, Amun was ruled through the priesthood. It was the priests of Arten ruled, as uh, three priests of Amen sort of ruled. But Akhenaten separated himself because of his belief in the one god. But his god was of the sun, Arten. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, when he died, it reverted back to Amen through his son, Turkanaten, who, when the priests reverted him back, it became Turkanan, Tutankhamun. Wow. So Tutankhamun brought the worship of Amen back to Egypt through the priests. But he would have been under the influence of the priests. And the priests were pretty pissed off that Akhenaten took away their religion hmm. of worshipping the moon god to worship the sun god. So it's that competition between the sun and the moon. Right. The mind and the soul, the spirit. That makes so much sense. What was their deal with reincarnation? What did they What did they know about reincarnation? Because they had that whole weird mummification thing. I've never really looked too much into that. But did they believe they could reincarnate into the same bodies or what? Not into the same bodies, but um, the um, idea was to take their body or their physical representation into the next world. Okay. So it's not really a reincarnation, but taking all their physical possessions, including their physical body, into the next world so they can use it in the next world. Hmm. So it's not really a reincarnation. Yeah. But the original Christians, they had reincarnations for about 380. They believed in reincarnation. Yeah. Well, I think it was com pretty common back in the back in the old days, right? Yeah, it was. And it was only until about 300 AD until the Catholic Church shut it down, shut down the idea. Yeah, of course. For reincarnation. And they wiped out the Cathars, right? Yeah. And the Cathars knew the truth about the two gods, the original god and the demiurge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've gone. So that would have been sort of like AI, you know, yeah. planning to get rid of the truth so that it could dominate. Yes. We've gone a bit into this idea of the of the soul trap of this sort of matrix simulation that the Cathars believed in being run by the AI. Um, there's there's stories of people who have had near death experiences being tricked back into their into their bodies, uh, and even some people even go to the moon where they see like a processing center. <laughs> Uh, and they're, they like, they see the white light emanating from the moon. It's very interesting. What do you think about that whole thing? Yeah, that is interesting too, because the in ancient Indians actually talked about it as well. Really? They talked about the moon as sort of like a way station before traveling off further into the universe as well. Oh, no way. Yeah. And also the domain of the dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's always like the, domain of the dead it's always related to to evil of the dead very like evil connotations yeah where can i read that about the indians 
Is there um is there a source? Well, there's so many references. Um, yeah. You can go back through ancient texts. Um, just trying to think about um, a book where you can actually. Or just a particular yeah. tribe or something I can look up. We'll start off with the Mahabharata. Okay. Go through that. Yeah, that's quite a lengthy text, but uh, that's a good start. Yeah, it's on my list. <laughs> I've uh, now, if you go through and read the Vedas, the Vedas are almost an encyclopedia of ancient mythology and technology. Yeah, I've There's read about through... five books of the Vedas. Yeah, I've read through some of that stuff and the the Bhagavatam, and they have some interesting stuff about cosmology. With the the lokas, mm. right? The locus, however you pronounce them, like they're yes. kind yeah. of related to the chakra system, the seven seven realms above and seven below. And below in the lower yeah. in the lower like fourth dimensions, they have uh like reptilian like demons and stuff like that. You know, going back to the those guys. Yeah. yeah it could be very interesting. Yeah, but even if you just you know get on the internet, do a search of the ancient texts. Uh, start off with the Mahabharata, the uh, Vedas, and they'll take you into the more texts, mm -hmm. and you'll start finding some really interesting stuff. Excellent. I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, are you are you um, going to be writing any more books? You think? <sighs> Hopefully, if I get time, <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of ideas I've got to get out. But um, yeah, a lot of references to these texts are in the Golden Moon, so people can actually go and have a take a look. Yes, okay, I'll do that too. Yeah. So you find those references in there. Excellent, Roger. I want to thank you so much for chatting with me. Uh, it's been uh, it's been very informative. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope to hear about what you what you do, if anything, in the in the future. Uh, is there any place people can follow you? You want to lead them to? Um, not really. If they can just get a copy of the book and start reading through it, I think that'll be enough for yeah. them. God it the moon. could take a while to get through and research all those details. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a it's an amazing book. You'll you'll have a great time just looking up all the all the information in there. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate you you coming by. Yeah, it's a shame this chat's ending because it feels like I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> oh, I mean, we can we can keep going if you want. <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long. Well, you can. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. We'll have to come. You'll have to we come can back chat again sometime. some other time. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, it'd be All great. right.